Democrat of the day is looking to represent 36B in the new redistricting map. This is White Bear Lake, Vadness Heights, Gem Lake, Birchwood Village. Breon Curran is kind enough to join us today to talk about uh, the uh, the uh, her, her campaign and how she is uh, hoping to hold that seat for the DFL. Breon, thank you very much. I hope I appreciate the time today. Hi, yes, and thank you so much for having me today. I really appreciate it. I appreciate I I do appreciate you as well. I have spent a lot of time up in your district. Actually, I've I've got I've got uh, you know a very close family friend lives right up in White Bear Lake there. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it's, 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 I do love your district quite a bit going up 61 there. It's, it's just really nice. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm glad to hear you say that. And I love the district too. And that's part of why I'm running here. So why don't we take a few minutes here and give you the floor. Why don't you tell everyone out there who exactly is Breon Curran? <laughs> Great. Who is Breon Curran? Uh, how much time do we have? No, you get a day. Hey, uh, um, it makes an easy show for me. <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> right. Uh, um, so, yeah, I, uh, I grew up in Centerville, so uh, just in the northern part of our newly formed Senate district, which I think is uh, pretty awesome, all things considered. Um, I never I never dreamt that I would be in the position of being called a candidate and maybe a politician someday. Um, so the fact that my, my hometown and my home area of the last uh, 10 or so years is also part of the same Senate district that I grew up in and went to school in um, is just an amazing, an amazing opportunity um, that I'm really, really excited about. And um, part of the reason that I'm running is, um, you know, I've watched politics uh, since I was, you know, a teenager. I was really interested in high school, but I would say, you know, I, I followed the information. I was excited to vote. And when I turned 18, um, I voted in every election that I could. And the extent of my political involvement thereafter was basically putting a and sign in my yard and saying, you know, hey, here's who, here's who I'm rooting for. Um, but over the years, I, I've kind of realized that I haven't seen a lot of just average folks from our area um, who are just interested in doing what they think uh, is right and doing what they, you know, and, and more just looking at this as an opportunity to serve the community uh, that they love so much. And I know there's some great folks out there right now who represent us who are doing an awesome job. But I think the last couple of years with the divisive politics we've seen, there's just really an open space for folks like me who just uh, want to get involved, want to do something to help and want to set all those differences aside and, and just start to get to work and get things done for Minnesota. That is, by the way, I mean, that is, there's a lot of politicians that have that mentality too. And I think it's, it's kind of one of those things where, where you see the real need and it's not being addressed. You want to get out there and, and do it. And I think that that is, you know, that's the fire under and, and a lot of people's spirits that they get in there and saying, I can do this. I can be, a, I can be a part of the solution. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and my, uh, my good friend, we may have heard of her, uh, you all may have heard of her, Heather Gustafson. Um, she's running for our beloved Senate District 36, and she's a good friend of mine. And she personally asked me to run for House. And when she asked, I just could not say no. Um, and again, just you know, following her lead, and we're just a couple of ladies from Badness Heights, Minnesota, trying to do our best to make changes for good. So 
Um, I, I could not say no. Uh, I could not say no to that call. Bow down to the mighty power of Vadnesites, indeed. It is a, no. It really is a magnificent community. If you've not been up there, I encourage you to go up there. And and White Bear is cute too. You'll love that Gem Lake. Oh yeah. Uh, so you know you you get involved here. Um, first of all, I want to bring up something about your opponent without even saying her name. I don't want to bring up her name, but I, I, I would, I'm going to, I'm going to say this. I looked at her website. She might win the award for most Republican trying to deny that they're a Republican I have ever seen. You look at her website, nowhere is Republican mentioned. She basically has scrubbed her side of all of it. As a matter of fact, if you were to look at it, she seems to be cosplaying a Democrat. And I actually went back and I looked at the Min Post story. I said, is this the Republican endorsed candidate? It is. That that she clearly yeah. is trying to, well, frankly, pretend she's you. Sure. Uh, I don't know about that. Um, that's pretty hard to do. <laughs> uh, I'm a pretty unique person, but I'd be flattered if that were the case. Um, and, you know, uh, that's, that's something that isn't lost on me. And I know that uh, it's, our district really is um, kind of that middle ground area, right? Where we just, we have folks who um, aren't, you know, particularly to one side or another. And I think uh, what folks are really looking for is somebody who, who sees that middle, who sees the common ground. But I think what separates me, because um, I'm sure you've looked at my website too, is that there's no question about what I think about anything. And um, I'm happy to support the causes that are important to me. And I'm happy to call out things that I think are wrong. Uh, but at the end of the day, what matters is what our constituents think. And that's that's the message that I really want people to hear is, um, you know, party politics, especially these days, is just wild. Um, but we can put that aside, right, mm-hmm. as long as we're willing to just talk about um, what's in our hearts, what's on our minds with honesty and with a goal of just getting somewhere good. Well, and, and it's like I said, your your opponent, as you talk about, your your page definitely does break down the issues. And I want to encourage people to go over there, uh, briancurran.com. That's B-R-I-O-N-C-U-R-R-A-N.com. You can read about all of her issues there. But your your opponent is a master's class in vagueness because there's not, there's 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 talking points, but there's not much there. Let's go through some of the issues here. And obviously, one of the ones that is you know, infuriating for a lot of people this election cycle is the overturning of Roe v. Wade and that women's rights that they've had for 50 years is now, you know, on the chopping block. A lot of Republicans scream that they that, that they're, they're, they're newfound moderates on this issue. The reality is the GOP platform is to overturn Doe v. Gomez and to make abortion illegal in the state. That is their policy that they put forward in May yeah. of this year. You obviously are looking yeah. to defend women's rights in, in St. Paul, correct? That is absolutely correct. The yeah you know, you know, talk a little bit about that when you've been out there door knocking and stuff like that have you have you heard about that from people have people have been talking about that issue? Yeah, um, and as soon as Roe was overturned, um, that was one of the first conversations. Just um, one of the first conversations I heard about at the doors immediately, um, and I've heard about it not just from women who are you know afraid for um, their own health care rights and access, but I've heard a lot from men as well who just think that um, tragedy, um, and and it, it's clearly over the years uh, that, it, you know, it's been an effort by, by the other side to limit some of our freedoms. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, this, this came up in a forum recently where my opponent attended as well, and um, you know, the, the Republican uh, spin on this is that abortion is not on the ballot. 
And, yeah, you know, I suppose if you want to get technical, is it a question on the ballot this year? No, it's not. But we all know that elected officials um, decide what will happen in the future. Um, Elected officials decided who sits on our Supreme Court today. And that was, you know, the result of that was the overturning of Roe v. Wade. So um, I think it is really, really safe to say that, yes, by extension, abortion is absolutely on our ballot in Minnesota. And I think it's fair to say every election from here on out, it is. I mean, that's clear. That's just, it's absolutely, they can, they can say that's not the case. It clearly is the case, no matter how much newfound moderates they are on the issue. And just in the last two to three months. So uh, you, one of the issues that Republicans like to tout is public safety. You as well can tout public safety. You are a, a Chisago County Sheriff's deputy uh, with your experience there. Talk about your experience in applying it, how you feel public safety should be addressed in the 36B district. Absolutely. So I think, first of all, in our district here in 36B, we have great law enforcement services. Um, Our officers are wonderful people who care about the community. Um, Several of them have ties to the community or even grew up here. Um, And I had a good chance to work with the White Bear Lake Police Department for about three or four years as a volunteer reserve sergeant um, before I became a deputy in Chisago County. So I've, I have experience, I have the experience locally here in our own public safety system. And what I've seen is that we can really make it work. And in some areas, we really are making it work. And what doesn't make sense to me is that we've got areas across the state of Minnesota that are seeing just extensive mass disparities in the, in the service that they're receiving. So when we know it's possible, and we know it's possible in our beloved little suburbs in the Northeast Metro here, um, I don't see any reason why we can't make it something um, something great across the state. And to me, that looks like supporting our police officers, right? We need to give those resources. We absolutely have to support our police departments. At the same time, we have to make sure that people are held accountable and we don't want to see um, some tragedies uh, repeat themselves like we've seen over the last uh, decade or so. Um, and I think that's highly, highly achievable if we're willing to sit down and talk through um, some different areas where we can make improvements. The and another issue that you you've brought up is disability services. Talk a little bit because I think that that's the first time I've ever seen someone something like that listed on someone's website and talking about this issue. Where where are you thinking there's the the need right there? I mean, obviously, I think obviously since the, the you know we've we've been working at just in my lifetime at moving from a very you know unhospitable society into a much more hospitable society. But there, I'm, I'm told every day mm-hmm. that there is a lot of failures that are still not being addressed out there when it comes to disability services. Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely right. So um, for the last 20 years, I've worked for a local nonprofit serving adults with developmental disabilities. And if there's anything I've learned uh, over my couple of decades there, it's that legislators really have the power to decide if our most vulnerable neighbors will uh, thrive or just simply survive. And even though we've made strides, um, you know, in the last 50 plus years for services for folks with disabilities, what's happening is um, that that funding just isn't prioritized. Uh, When it gets to the legislative session, oftentimes disability services are something that Uh, don't make it too far on the table before they get taken off. And I think part of the reason is because we don't have anyone sitting at that table who says, hey, wait a second, we have an obligation to care for people. And just because they can't sit at this table doesn't mean we can say no and move on. And the lack of funding and the lack of prioritization of these services 
has created um, created these jobs as, a, as an entry level job, and it's something that we see a lot of high turnover in, and that certainly translates to this translates to the services that folks with disabilities receive. Um, so we, we want to see that change. Um, you know, we got folks out of institutions, which is, like I said, it's incredible. It's an amazing stride. But we've, what we've essentially done um, is, you know, create a position where that's really low wages. Uh, so not a lot of people want to work there. We've got a staffing crisis. And now we've got essentially four-person institutions just in our communities, in, in homes. And so from the outside, it looks like everything is great. Um, but from the inside, people are stuck at home and not able to do the things they want to do because we're so short-staffed. Yeah, and, and yeah, clearly that's it's something that, and I, th- I think one of the things you just touched on, which I think is such an important part, is that if you treat a job like it's an entry-level job that's, you know, basically, you know, s- supposed to be mistreated and underpaid and not get the benefits, well, are you surprised when people don't want to stick around in that job? And I think that that's, I think that that's the great learning when we have this great, you know, workers' renaissance that we are living in in this day and age. I think that that's kind of one of the things that people are realizing is that, no, it just, just because someone takes that job doesn't mean that that job deserves to be treated worse. Right, right, exactly, and it's really how we're how we're prioritizing jobs in our society, and I think we really need to take a look at how we prioritize disability services. Uh, the Republicans accidentally uh, <laughs> made edibles legal in the state of Minnesota, which is still one of the funniest things from the last <laughs> session I've ever seen. One of the funniest things I've ever seen in politics. They accidentally made edibles legal in the state of Minnesota. Uh, I was just in Colorado. They're not having major problems out there. As a matter of fact, they make nearly five hundred million dollars a year in tax revenue yeah. off of legal marijuana sales. Uh, obviously, we have to address the, whether or not we're going to tax edibles because right now there isn't one in the state of Minnesota. But uh, you're, you as well, you're a big pro-legalizing person as, as I am. I'm, I don't smoke it. I don't take it. But I, at the same time, I can see what, I, what seems to be not nearly the crime spree that some people try to sell it as and also something that has been proven that you, you can be in, you know, brought into society and it's not going to cripple it and you can make a ton of money on tax purposes. I think it's a, it's a it's a win across the board to legalize marijuana. Yep, yep, yeah, absolutely, I agree. And I'm glad you used the term across the board because a lot of folks, when we talk about legalizing marijuana, they think it's simply about having uh, you know safe, regulated access for adults to consume marijuana, which of course um, would would happen with regulation. Um, but there's there's so many other things that this issue touches, um, right? Like you mentioned, the tax revenue, and we can if we if we create that that avenue for tax revenue, um, we can fund the things that everybody's passionate about right now, um, like mental health services. That is absolutely a bipartisan concern, and everybody wants to do what we can to address our mental health issues in the state. And I think that is something that we could look at using uh, tax revenue for our sales of uh, recreational marijuana. Um, at the same time, I'd like to see um, a portion of that support substance use disorder treatment, um, which, again, you know, is, is something we really, really need to tackle here. Um, and then, you know, of course, that rolls into our criminal justice system. And uh, if we get folks, um, you know, clean off of hard drugs, um, that's going to reduce, reduce the risk of being involved in crime in the first place. Um, and if we can uh, legalize marijuana and expunge records for, you know, nonviolent related uh, nonviolent uh, marijuana-related crime, um, you know, we can reduce our costs in criminal justice there as well by, by not keeping folks in prison just, you know, simply for consuming or selling marijuana. Um, and then and that kind of trickles then into the workforce. 
then we have an added added group of people back into the workforce and potentially can run dispensaries and do something that they're already good at. Uh, this is, it, it makes a lot of sense. And, and too, like I do treat it like the legacy amendment, like you kind of alluded to Be, dedicate the tax funds to very specific things. I think most people in Minnesota would vote yes right away. I honestly do. Uh, yeah. I agree with you on that one. Uh, Brian Curran is once again, the candidate for 36 B, uh, Brian, I want people to get up there and help you out. Once again, this is the same thing. Help your local DFLer. Help your local and by all means. Yeah. But if you are in a relatively <laughs> safe, you know, easy punt of a district for the DFL, get up to 36B. <laughs> we need door knockers. We need volunteers. We need donations uh, to help uh, Brian win that district. So what's the website, once again, people should go to to find out more information on how they can help you out? Uh, my website is myname.com, so it's B-R-I-O-N-C-U-R-R-A-N.com. Brian Curran, once again, uh, thank you very much. All my best to you. I, I, I hope we do get to call you representative coming up here in uh, November. Thank you very much for the time. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it, and uh, enjoy the rest of your day.